to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. My name is Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this weekend, I welcome Dr. Juliana. She is always up for a down and dirty conversation about sexuality and intimacy. As a credentialed therapist, academic, and bona fide sexpert, Dr. Juliana has spent decades counseling and supporting thousands of individuals on their paths to discover and own their sexual agency. Having traversed her own journey through love, loss, motherhood, and the world of academics, she has come to understand that ownership over one's sexuality is at the foundation of every strong, confident person. She has developed a clear, action-driven method to help people of all backgrounds discover their own power through holistic sexuality. She is a certified uh, body sex workshop facilitator through Betty Dotson and offers tons of tips and insight and support through coaching, therapy, online courses, and in-person retreats for becoming your own sexpert, which you can find over at drjuliana.com. Welcome. Hi. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you too. Last we saw each other was during Betty Dotson's 90th birthday um, retreat, which was so fabulous. And I wish we could all be quarantining there together. I know, me too. That, that was such a great few days. And I actually remember specifically when we met too. It was right before a circle and um, we introduced, yeah, I went on to just myself and then we, we were sharing like what we do. We're like, oh my God, no way I wanted to meet you for so long. It's great. Well, I happen to know through, I know we can't speak of them, but I happen to know through some clients that you have that you are an amazing clinician. So I am, Aww. you know, really looking forward to having you on the podcast and I know that one thing you said you teach is to help folks on their own journey of self-discovery. And one way that you do this is through something called sexual stories class. Um, what is that? Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a culmination of almost two decades of work. It started off as a class at Lima Mary and I transitioned it to uh, be something that I can do privately with people one-on-one or in a group or a retreat. And basically it's the, it's the premise that we will often have a, a sexual story that we tell this person and, but can't tell that story to that person. And, um, and so by the end of it, we haven't really ever fully told our story to anybody and let alone really took the time to look at what our sexual journey is in its entirety. So it's a course or it's a process that you go through, you do a timeline and you look at from birth into where you are now about anything that has to do with uh, your sexuality. And then we look at themes and patterns. And, and then I kind of do a teaching of what holistic sexuality is in the midst of that. And we start putting stories in and start building the stories and looking at how they fit together. And look how really, when you pull back from it, it's the story of you. 
I, I believe that your sexuality is the essence of who you are. So when you're looking at your sexuality and your sexual journey, then you're really looking at the journey of you becoming. And we do all that um, at the end. And you got to see this too, uh, that we tell, we, we look at stories of celebration and we look at stories of like healing points and you read them and it is, it's, so powerful. Like I, I really believe transformation happens when you think through something and when you write through something and then you talk through something. And that's the process that we think a lot, we write a lot, and then you say it. And, and after all that, you do, uh, you decide how you want to take all that information and make it work for your sexual future. What do you want to change about your sexual journey moving ahead? What, what support do you need? What are you ready to put behind you? And then what do you want to embrace moving ahead? I mean, not everyone thinks the way that you and I do and thinking that their sexuality is a key part of their, you know, their essence and their life. So for folks who maybe don't think that way, what is important about figuring out your sexual story? Yeah, that's a great question. And I sometimes when I say that statement up as the essence of who you are, I get blank stares, which is which is fine because I, I mean, I, certainly there are times in my journey I was like, what are you talking about? Like that's a huge stretch. But then when I realized that, like, if you if you're looking at like connections being a, such an important part of fulfillment um, and happiness and contentment in your life, if you look at that connection is is the hub of that, but the background to that is being authentic, like knowing who you are and showing up authentically sexuality and knowing who you are as a sexual being is is one it's not the only way to know who you are but i think it's one of the best way the most powerful ways to figure out who you are authentically because our sexuality has so much shit attached to it so much shame so much complicated values and messages that if you find the skills to sift through all of that and unapologetically say this is who i am this is who this is what i've been through this is what i have chosen this is what i've lived through and and can own that then you can do that in all areas of of your life and how does one even start exploring where to start <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the other part too, because I, I believe that, you know, I'm an expert in sexuality, but I'm not your expert or so-and-so's expert. So it's like a dual process. Like the, the procedure that we go through, everything is about empowering you to do it your way. So there's no right or wrong way. And it's personality driven. Some people will do a timeline that they put like paper and it's like 10 papers all in a row. Some people do a narrative, other people do a decade and you just kind of start. And then I always tell people, just carry paper or your phone with you, because once you let the story start flowing in your life, like, oh, yeah, I forgot. To you. Yeah, you're like, oh, God, I forgot about that one, you know, or, or whatever it is. And you want that. You want the creative flowing to be to happen for you. Um, and sometimes, I mean, we do, especially if you've lived more than a few decades, you've got quite a bit of stories um, to collect. This is something I had to do in my graduate program, and I thought it was one of the most helpful things that, that I did for my own sort of sexual discovery. And it's something I, I try to do with all of my clients um, by way of there's like a, if you want to Google it, listeners, it's called the circles of sexuality. So oh, I love it. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm biased. So I think you should take uh, like Dr. Juliana's classes and join her in that. And if you want to like have some ideas of where to get started, um, the circles of sexuality is like a, a visual model almost of like, what are some of these 
stories and like where do they overlap and, and intersect? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the circles of sexuality and they started off as five and I've changed it a bit for my own work and have nine of them with sexual agency in the, in the middle. And I had to stop it at nine cause I, it was getting too big, but so what are your, what are your nine circles? So it is pleasure. It is desire. It is health and reproduction. It is sexualization. So some of them are the, are the same as the original. Um, behaviors and practices, um, love and connection, sensuality, um, and intimacy, and relationships, and desire. And what's the importance of then sharing your story with others? Yeah, well, one of that is um, releasing shame. And we have shame to the healing and trauma points in our life, but we also have shame with the celebrations that we are. We find pleasurable what we're interested in. Yeah. Or if you've had like a really great sexual encounter or you love, you know, this wonderful part of how your body receives um, pleasure or how you give pleasure. We don't have an atmosphere in which we can celebrate that appropriately and unabashedly. And so there's often shame or, or it's the hushed, Thing or the only times you can you can only say this part to, to this person at this point in your life. Um, so I, I think saying it out loud is is very powerful, and it's it's a very it, it's a very vulnerable place. Like for instance, like the people that we were that when we met and, and um, if you saw the example of uh, the people in our group reading it. This, um, our group at Menlo was a group of, of women who are very comfortable with their sexuality. They've talked a lot about it. They're often but teachers. But they haven't always been. Haven't always been. Yeah. And when we did this course, every single one of them, when we got to the reading part and I kept saying them, it's, it's, it is an interesting exercise of vulnerability. I got it. And, and I, and, and often there was shaking and nervousness and, and it and and those are, are who are very comfortable in sharing these kinds of stories, and and so I think it's when we debriefed afterwards and for a couple of weeks afterwards and talked about what it was like to say it out loud. Like you are right, I released things that I didn't know that I needed to release. It was different standing and having ch- a crowd of people listening. And then when I the way I like to end it when someone reveals their story is to say, "I believe you." I witness your strength. I honor your story. So just the power of bearing witness to someone else's story. Yeah. I think it's powerful saying it too. Like I I think being in the audience when someone tells their story um, or stories, I think that's just as powerful too, to hear someone um, who has a similar story or something that's very different or a different perspective of a, a similar feel to things. It's as powerful to hear and receive it as it is to say it. The human memory is is fallible in a lot of ways. And so when I hear the word story, it is a story because maybe it's an interpretation that we've created based on our own experience or not that it's made up like it is to be believed as someone's experience, but it's also not always based in objective reality, whatever the heck that is. And so I I wonder how do you support someone and believe them in this story while also maybe helping them challenge this narrative in ways that it's not working for them anymore? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good point. You know, actually I've been interviewed with before and no one's ever asked me that specifically. So I know that's so insightful and it's true. And it's a tricky part that I, ha- that I have to say when we're going through this to people, which is 
we are looking at multiple lenses of this experience that we are looking back. We have to rely on the memory. We have to rely on the brain and the experience and what that person knew, who you were at that point to interpret what was happening at that yeah, time. Yeah, just our own context. And- yeah, all of that. And then where we are right now is interpreting all of that and trying to make meaning and see themes and all of that. Um, it's uh, it's tricky. And so, um, so I'll bring up that notion of this does our, we don't always have facts. We, uh, we have interpretation and perspective and context and experience, and that's all important to know. And so we take it all very seriously. And we also t- find um, lightness in this also. So once that's kind of released from this has to be concrete, I have to get every detail right, or maybe my experience is different than someone else who was a part of it. Then you can release yourself from that and, and, and have trust that you're supposed to remember right now what you need to know in order to move forward. So if the ultimate question as you go into looking at your sexual journey is, where do I want to be from now on? Then I trust that what we remember, what we hear, what comes up for us uh, is what are really are the signals for the patterns and themes that we're going to use moving forward. Yeah. And then once you have this story together, what is the goal with it? Like, what do we, what do we use it for? What do we do? For some, it's healing that they, they need to be like going through the story was enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. For some, it's uh, learning to um, own that they're a sexual being and that they, they, they're normalizing their experience. They are being able to say things out loud or, or read it and, and live through that. And in general, most people are like, I just want to have a grasp of who I am in a, in an adult way that is, it's almost the personalized sex education that we were never given. And in the context of understanding it, kind of like with body sex, when you go through your own anatomy and no one's really ever done that with us, it's like that it's going through your sexual journey, but it's individualized and it's a sex education that is holistic and in-depth. And you can ask questions about what this means of yourself and if you're doing it in a group of other people or with me. And then it's like, okay, then now what? Because our sexuality is always changing and is fluid, then we get to make a decision every day. What what do I want next? What do I want to change? Who um, do I want what's to What's serving me? Yeah, what's serving me and what isn't? And and then I think it also gives this, like this course or this procedure gives you the um, impetus to actually sit down and think about it for the first time for a lot of people that they, it's just not, it's just low on the list of, of thinking about in your life and wondering about. What do you think life would be like if we all were like required to do this in early sex education? Oh, we would be so happier. (laughs) So much less shame. Oh, it's, so much happier, so much more pleasure filled inside and outside of a sexual context. I think we would breathe easier. I could just not carrying around all this guilt and shame. And we'd be able to like, to know what that's like. A lot of us had that experience of at least one or two people that you can really show up for who you are and yeah. be seen and wanted for the truth of you. Like when you finally just aren't putting on context or you're not pretext or you're not putting on airs for something, but you really had that great conversation and you just feel at peace and everything just feels like amazing. I think we'd have a whole lot more of that. Without giving away, you know, confidentiality stuff, do you have any stories that specifically stand out to you with, you know, 
people that you've worked with in terms of moments of, of growth and, and transformation through this, through this work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have, um, and I've, I've loved working, uh, with people of all ages. So in this work, I, I stay 18 and above, uh, currently. Um, and I think my oldest person that I've worked with is, I think she was 70. And one of the things I love is I can never predict where, um, where their aha moments are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, uh, a young man who, um, a lot of what we were working through was erectile dysfunction and, um, the shame and anxiety that he had about that. And when we started getting into the stories of it, there was so much of just questions he had, um, about when we got to the health and reproductive side about what this all was and knowing like, how do you, as a 18 year old young man, how do you ask? Who do you ask about this if it's not automatically provided for you? And when we got into the anatomy with that needs, it was everything just seemed to shed for him. And that's not actually where I would have predicted the big aha moment would have been for him. Um, and no, it was just because he had never maybe felt comfortable or had anyone to actually be like, what is going on? What is happening in my body? Yeah. And, and then everything started flooding out of him, all the questions and the rest of the, the circles that we went through. It just was this free flow. And he's like, I want more. Let's do more. Give me more questions. Let's dive into this. And, and he said, he's like, I really wish that my friends could do this. I wish other people could hear about this and, and that this is what I was doing in seventh grade. And that, that felt pretty exciting to hear that. And he's like, I'm going to be the one that all my dudes come to. I've, I've got all the answers. And it and it's deeper. It was a deeper thing. It wasn't just like the anatomy part of it. I mean, that one, that uh, erectile struggles is such a, a sad one for me because it's something that so pretty much most people with penises experience at some point or another due to something, but yeah. it's just not talked about. And so it's like everyone knows it's happening but no one wants to admit it. Yeah. And, and, and then we don't, we don't know how to talk about it. And partners of people with penises don't know how to talk about it. And, and there's obviously people know where to look online, but even that there may be answers, but it doesn't necessarily fit for what well, even the name of it, right. Erectile dysfunction, yeah, dysfunction. as opposed right. to like normal variation of erectile functionality. Yes. Right. Just like libido, like a lot of it, we aren't taught that yeah. things vary and there's an ebb and flow of things. And then I had um, another one that also that comes to mind is she, um, she was going through like her um, Tibet, like one of the things you go through like puberty and, you, and you're going through different times. And she um, had a miscarriage um, in her teenage life and says she had thought about it, talked about it in maybe 30 years. And just the tears were flowing from all of the stuff that had to do with that, all of the shame that came with it. And, and grieving that she had, that she had never really been, felt like she was allowed to in the, in the culture that she was in at that time and being um, a teenager that at uh, that time wasn't supposed to, whatever that means, be, you know, be pregnant. And then so when then she miscarried, it wasn't supported in that. Um, she just moved on from it. And it was, it was so beautiful see- seeing her release all of that for her, all of the shame and the guilt and the heaviness of it. And she really saw how that fit into patterns of her motherhood later and how she saw herself as a woman and actually into her career choice. That was pretty beautiful to see that too. One theme that comes up for me that's highlighted in some of the cases that you're describing is just this importance of 
body memory and like what telling these stories brings up in our body and how our bodies hold these traumas um, and how it impacts our life. Yes, I, I agree with that. And again, we're not really taught that in a lot of ways, what to do with that, where we're storing this and, or even that we are, and then how do you release it? And there's lots of great body work you can do, but I also think just shutting light on it and letting it out too makes a big difference in your healing. I also love when someone, uh, cause they have to do a, a story of celebration and a story of healing. I love it also when someone gives their story of celebration and, and they can just unabashedly just say, this was awesome. This is what I did. This is what we did together or whatever the detail of it is. And I'm so glad I had this. That's, I find that to be really beautiful too. And people are hooting and hollering if it's in a group. And I love I like that. that. I mean, yeah. it's, a, yeah, it's such community. And speaking of body, let's talk about body sex. And if you yeah. don't know what that is, um, I feel like it's more in the news and media now because uh, Betty and Carlin Ross, who are in charge of body sex, were just featured on the Goop special on Netflix. Um, so I think a lot of people just imagine maybe it's a bunch of people masturbating, uh, together, which it also is, <laughs> and would love to hear from your experience. Like what, what is body sex? What does that mean? And what is that training all about? Yeah. I mean, bodies. So I, when I was teaching, um, back at women, Mary, I used, um, Betty's, um, or, orgasm for one sex for one, uh, as one of my textbooks. And I've said this story to Betty several times. I did not realize that she was alive. I could not believe that. I had heard that that she had died. <laughs> I was taught all. I, I it was terrible to all my te- my students this. And then I was at a conference for ASECT and um, uh, heard that she was still obviously alive and doing these things. And I literally went and I felt horrible. And I went to the back of the room and I called and I called Carlin and I was like I. I don't know. I just had to be one of your circles. And it was the last circle, the last spot in the last circle of the year. And, um, and then before I knew it, I was flying to New York and doing it. And I originally did it because I wanted to, um, I mean, I wanted to meet Betty and I wanted to be a part of it of what I've been teaching for so long. Yeah, because she was alive. <laughs> and she was alive. So <laughs> was, like, I have to see for myself. <laughs> that was a bonus and uh, a proof of it. Though I could say, I mean, she's going to be someone whose teaching is going to be happening after death. So she's, she's forever. Yeah, she is. So I get there. And again, I hadn't put a whole lot of thought into it. It was just more of a professional curiosity. And I didn't really feel like I could be stretched much in, in work anymore. Like everything feels like I I had done it or said it or, or wasn't surprised by anything. And when I started walking into, um, up to the, the bellman and said where I was going and to get her apartment number, it all hit me that this was going to be very personal. As Dr. Juliana talked about earlier, there are so many aspects that make up healthy sexuality, and that includes other areas of our mind, body, and spirit. If you're looking for a wellness brand to help you maintain your health goals in a customized way, Careof provides hassle-free quality vitamins and supplements delivered to you. For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf, T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F dot com and enter code S&S50, S&S50. They have a quick and easy online quiz to get you a recommended list of vitamins specifically for you. I've taken the online quiz and done it myself. It's super simple and it helps you figure out what you might need. For example, in my quiz, I said I was feeling stressed, answered some basic info, and got a whole list of vitamins that would feel good for me. 
for 50% off of your first Care Of order. Again, you can go to takecareof.com and enter code SANDS50. Now, back to the episode. Just to give some context for folks who don't know, Betty is a all-around sexuality education guru who is an artist, an author, um, and for since whatever year, uh, she's now 90, she has been teaching women how to access their own anatomy and orgasm and pleasure through hands-on women's circles and classes. So when you go to take this, you go to her apartment in New York and... And get naked. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew it. I mean, I've been naked before. You know, none of that is... This woman has seen some shit also. Yes, she has. And it was... But it was just something else. Like, it reminded... I was at this one, like... uh, spa in Germany where it, it was all naked. And I remember that feeling of like in the, in the, um, dress, like in the locker room undressing and just feeling like, I really hope this is where I'm supposed to go. And this is not like the gift shop and I'm going to be walking naked into this gift shop. But, and I kind of had that feeling at first, like, okay, so no one was in the hall with me and I was getting naked and I was like, okay, I mean, I hear them in the other room. I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And and I was floored by how um, how much it, it pushed me, how vulnerable I felt, how like what am I doing? Um, it, it was and just just not knowing what to expect, and that all washes away within minutes. And sitting in that group, and you know, Betty and Carlin are just so gifted in making uh, women feel welcomed and shame free. And you say what you need to say, and Betty always goes goes hard with the story so that you feel like your story isn't nearly as, as, as whatever, or, um, as awkward. And I, um, I mean, I, I like many, it takes a bit perhaps to, to get into it. And then you, you feel changed. I, I don't know if anything's ever changed me more, um, than um, getting into that first circle. Um, so and, you get, you get naked, then mm-hmm. what? Yeah. And then you talk about your, your relationship with your body, your relationship with your orgasms. And, and those are beautiful discussions. Uh, at first, like you start off, I mean, you're naked saying these things. And, and one of the things I love about that too, is like most people take off everything like their jewelry. And so you are a blank slate. There is, there is no way to really know where someone's coming from, their socioeconomic status, their culture or anything. You just are walking in truly naked in every sense of it. And you want to go deep fast. You you want to be able to tell your truth and feel that and hear other people's. And um, they're just very gifted in getting those stories out of us. And then, and then it came time for the genital show and tell. And again, I thought... And like, that's exactly gonna, what it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Which I say to people like, where else, unless, you know, you are in with a partner or partners that, that are doing this, do you get like a ovation for your genitals and, and have people saying, have ooing and awing and like, you know, looking at you. Like, I mean, like that's that. how it should be. I think yes. in my mind, in every sexual experience. So yeah. if you're not with someone who's like ooing and awing and having an ovation to your genitals, maybe find a new partner. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> And, and to have an audience like that where, and you're, you're not the only one doing it. And, um, and again, like I, I was surprised how put much it pushed me. And when it came my turn to sit next to Betty, um, it was, she was joking, like, am I gonna have to pry your legs apart? <laughs> like, I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. Like here I was just feeling so empowered and I teach this, this is so easy. And it, it, it was to become the pupil, uh, was, uh, was humbling. 
and beautiful and transformative and fascinating too. And it, it made me actually start doing the work of talking to uh, medical schools and midwives and wanting to show that this is and, and teaching people, you can ask for the people who are your sexual health providers to go through your anatomy with you. It's very empowering and, um, and very educative. Do you have any advice for folks who aren't part of maybe the choir that we're preaching to? Meaning even for you, who was kind of already in the field, you had some blocks and some things. And I mean, this is, this is scary. This is vulnerable. This is hard work. It is very challenging. And whether that be the body sex and or the sexual stories, um, the people that I would really love to see doing that are often the folks who are like, I would never do that. So what level does someone have to be at to do this stuff? How do you kind of, yeah, how do you decide to lean into that when Mm -hmm. it feels so foreign? What a, what a, it's one of the reasons why I like to talk about it as much as I do, because I, I think you need to put away preconceptions as to who this is right for and who can do this. You can look any way and be any age and, um, and it's, and it is helpful for you. I, I think it's, you have to have, um, you have to have some faith in the process. Uh, you have to, um, feel safe and allow yourself to feel safe in the unknown of this and to hear the voices of the women before you say, do this, come along with us. It's going to change you in all the right ways. Um, and I, you know, some people come with friends. Um, when I, when I tell people about it, I'll say, well, best, a couple of the circles I've been to, they've been best friends that came together. Like, Oh my gosh, I would never do that with my best friends. Like, okay, then go with nobody. And, and you're a blank slate to everybody. Um, in that way too. Um, and it's just getting in the door. Um, I think Carlin and I, I, I know they've said that they've never had somebody not come back the next day. It's just get having the courage to walk in. And there's different versions of it now that there's facilitators all over the world. There's different versions of it, and there's uh, people that that will do the circles clothes for the first time or uh, clothing optional. And um, and if so, if that if if the conversation is the biggest risk, then find a place where you can have the conversation first. And, and ease yourself into that. There are also people that are doing it one-on-one and, um, and that can be the entry point into this. I think it's very powerful to do it in a group. I, I like that. I'm very group oriented anyway. And I, I think it's wonderful to see other people's, like I'm always, I've done the circles many times now and I'm, I'm fascinated by those who are super interested and easy and it, they can walk in without any problems and the general show and tell and erotic recess is no big deal. And then those who find the spots that are the blocks. For it. And That's, for folks who don't know, uh, what is erotic recess? So erotic recess is the second day. And um, that's when you are learning uh, techniques that Betty teaches about self-pleasure, uh, typically with the Hitachi and then uh, the uh, stainless steel dildo that she has designed. So the and, Hitachi is the big, you know, magic wand vibrator that maybe you've seen on like Sex in the City where she's at, you know, Samantha's at Sharper Image. It's that it's that looking kind of thing. And like you said, there are lots of folks who do these classes coming in for all different reasons. But one, you know, main one that I've heard is from folks who are like, I've never had an orgasm or I feel like I can't have an orgasm. Um, t- let's talk about that. So my uh, first circle, there was a woman who was next to me who had never had, who didn't think she'd had an orgasm. 
And, um, and so when we got, and she, she said, I'm not sure I can come back tomorrow. Like I'm not trying to be able to handle this. And we gave her lots of support and, and encouragement. And we're like, please, please come back. Like the circle feels so sacred. You always want it to be. And, and so she did. And when she walked in the next day, we're like, yes. And, uh, so it got to, she went, we went through the techniques and then it got to just free play. If you wanted to to do erotic recess, you could, and, she started crying and was getting frustrated. And Betty walked over to her and helped her and moved it around and showed her where to put it on, on her. And she had an orgasm within two minutes, two, three minutes after Betty just helped her, just the hands-on part of where you, you can't help. We all, I mean, I literally was crying for her and we were clapping and laughing and celebrating and thinking like, how beautiful is it to like witness uh, we always joke that it's kind of like you're an orgasm doula, that it's like you're bringing in the orgasms into the world, into someone's life. And when someone has that that burden of feeling like their body is broken or they're never going to be able to figure it out, and then they have the magic um, happen of, of understanding pleasure and how to help themselves find that pleasure, it's, I mean, it's just life altering. And she looked different. She talked different. She hated herself differently. And it was great to be able to celebrate that with her. That's so beautiful. It gives me like tingles all over and help me understand or help our listeners understand what is going on for someone who feels like they can't have an orgasm. Uh, Before this or just in general? I mean, I guess in general, what's happening emotionally, physically, um, what are some blocks why folks have not experienced this form of pleasure? And again, I just want to reiterate, orgasm is not the only type of pleasure. And, you know, here's what we're talking about today. Yes, I second that. Um, And if someone says to me, I can't have an orgasm, I will always like saying like it's pre-orgasmic. And as you said, like trying to normalize that part of it. But, you know, I think people are pre-orgasmic for a number of different reasons. One of the things that I like to talk about is looking at the emotional aspect of it and looking at, like, we will define what safety is and how do you create safety for yourself and the environment and emotionally. And then um, what is the relationship with vulnerability? Because they often go to, obviously they go together. So how vulnerable, you know, what do you, how do you feel comfortable being vulnerable? And then how, what, what safety things do you need in order to become vulnerable? And then how does that go together to help you let go and to receive a pleasure and, and then to know the, the nuts and bolts of that. And then once I, get, once I do like the emotional aspect of it, and then it's just the mechanics of it. Do you know your anatomy? Do you understand how your anatomy works to bring pleasure? And, um, and then can you put all that together in looking at it as something curious? So I like to, I like to talk about it being like a pioneer of an orgasm. Like, let's just go exploring and find where that is. And again, normalizing it instead of it being this horrible, which it, it, I know it can be very horrible, but taking the attitude and changing it, like, let's just figure it out. And anything that doesn't work, then that's more information. That's not terrible. That's good news. Great. Let's rule that out. Now we've got something else to look for, look, try to look forward to try out. And, and I mean, often that's the key of it too, is just having, having someone make, help you not feel broken and to find that there are lots of options um, to get to that place of that kind of pleasure. And it seems hard not to have then some sort of like body dysmorphic self-confidence feelings. If you feel like your body is not doing what you think it's supposed to be doing, that it's like betrayed you in some way. Yeah. How do you, in your practice, how do you help folks deal with that when they're pre-orgasmic? I think mindfulness is a way to it also. 
of, of getting that connection of mind and body together. Um, I think slowing things down and taking the pressure off of what orgasm is and really learning what is your pleasure, like through your senses. I love to after you do this too, like sensate therapy and, and just learning what that feels like, what you like, um, sensually. And for people who don't know what sensate therapy is, um, can you explain it? So it's, um, uh, well, in the shortest version of it, it's, (laughs) it's it's like, uh, it's kind of just taking, taking the intercourse off the table and starting back again, a connection of hands to hands and skin to skin and rhythms and textures. And, um, I mean, what, I guess what it sounds like is, is focusing on the sensations. Yes. You're right. That's a simple way. (laughs) Yes. Like you were saying that succinctly. Yeah. So, and, and how that can then lead you, um, into pleasure and opening up with yourself and with, with somebody else. I love body sex and something I talk about so much, which I already kind of mentioned on the podcast is not being goal oriented and goal focused and how, you know, being goal oriented towards an orgasm can create a lot of stress and tension and kind of put this hierarchy onto sexual experiences. So how do we hold space for like the power that the orgasm can bring while also acknowledging that like sometimes it doesn't happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you we are fighting against a whole lot of cultural norms with that too, for all genders with it. I, you know, it's, I, I mean, I love that question because it, it, it can be contradictory of mm-hmm. let's look at the power. Let's look at how amazing this is and, and how well, how good that feels and what it's doing for your body and connection. Yeah, life-changing. Yes. Right. But it's not the end all be all of things. And right. So how does that make sense? And I, and I think it's because if you look at it as a building block and, and it's not the first block is um, the lesser value, it's just a different block in it and moving that around. Because I think like, if you're doing anything in the tantric world, that some of like eye gazing or some of the breathing exercises that you do can be just as powerful and transformative as the actual feeling of an orgasm too. It's, it's just a different mindset and pace of things. Well, I liked what you said about like, let's go exploring. And something that I often encourage clients to do is like um, body mapping or genital mapping, which is like, let's just explore. And like a, like a topographical map of the world, you're looking at like, okay, where are the crevices? What, where are the fault lines? Where are the things that like, I feel sensitive? Where's the stuff that feels good? And really just like, yeah, like spelunking. I love that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And my favorite word is um, like, let's remain curious. Let's just stay curious um, in this. It just seems to take a lot of pressure off. What are some ways that you encourage clients to stay curious? Um, similar to what you're saying about like your body of um, what is your reaction? What's your emotional reaction to this? What is your physical reaction to this? Um, let's not put lots of shoulds into uh, behaviors or analysis of something. Let's um, mainly it's, it's the attitude of things aren't wrong. They are just not where you want them to be or things have shifted and you want them to change. So let's remain curious as to where we're headed in this. Let's take the pressure off of having to have this solution right now. And I find that once you 
once you get out of the problem focus and you can get into the like, okay, it's just, it's just this kind of sense of, I don't know, let's, let's find it out together. I also think that helps people not feel like I'm the expert that's going to tell them everything and be the miracle cure. It is, I want you to be in charge of that. I want, I want you to feel ownership and pride that this wasn't handed to you, that you, we co-created this together. Like one of the things Betty always says is I never give um, a woman an orgasm. I I support her in having hers. I feel that way about insights with clients and with um, anything that you're learning or wanting to change in your sexual life too. Yeah. I love that. I think though you call yourself an expert, I think you specified like I'm not the expert of your story or I'm not the expert of someone else's story. And so it's up to them to kind of teach that to me and kind of more be like a Sherpa, I guess, with them while you're doing it. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I, I actually used to say that. I was like, I want to be a sexual Sherpa. For sexual you. Sherpa. Well, I love yeah. that. I mean, in the same vein as what you do in your sex story classes, um, I think we've talked a lot about like the celebration and the pleasure part. Um, but in the vein of maybe stories of growth, um, when you said when you told me for the first time that you taught at William and Mary, um, I was like, isn't that a pretty conservative school? And I wondered to myself, like. I've had the privilege of being in some school experiences, at least now, where there are like specializations in human sexuality. So it's like so normal in that bubble. Um, But not most areas of academia are not as sex positive. Um, So I would love to hear what have been some of your barriers or struggles and growth in being a professor in academia who talks about sex and self-pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was interesting. It is interesting. And it felt actually very, um, uh, it felt like it was a mission of mine. And I began the class, it was my dissertation. And it took about a year to get it approved because there had been a pretty controversial thing happen within the gender studies program that they had brought a sex worker show to campus and it had not gone over well with some of the patrons. And right when I was asking to be teaching a class called Restructuring Female Sexuality, and, and that was fine. I just, I wanted to work within the environment that I had, and I, I didn't want to take no for an answer. So I was persistent and learned to flex with what this meant and was able to find, to find a home within gender studies. And they were wonderful about it. They gave me free reign once I got the yes, because it's really hard even to, to get a new class approved, let alone. So it's really under scrutiny um, as to what the subject matter is. And then I, they said, well, if you can, if you can get, I think at the time it was six students, then we'll let it go. And I capped it at 20 and got that within hours. Like, Oh, okay. Then we have something like here. actually a desire for this or a need yeah. for this. And, um, but I was nervous and I wasn't really, I felt like there was a lot of eyes on me and I needed to do it right. And there were already some complaints. I had uh, one uh, father say, you're going to make my daughter a slut. And it, it was, now this is 2004, um, but it was, uh, it was still shocking and upsetting. And, um, but then what was lovely. I mean, to me, that's like a positive. It's like, I'm so glad there are people yes. helping create more sluts in the yes. world. <laughs> yes. Me too. I mean, it, it was inspiring. Like, oh, okay. And that means that actually what's happening is that his um, daughter was going home and talking and talking about what she was learning. And those were wow. the ripple effects of it. And so I, I actually did find it very positive. 
Um, I, one of my favorite stories too was um, one of the students came back from Thanksgiving break and said, I have gotten so used to talking about sex so easily in this group that at the dinner table in front of my grandparents and aunts and uncle, I started talking about who here is masturbating. And like she said, it was like the forks dropped and they're like, what are you learning there? And uh, she's like, I just forgot the world isn't changing with us. And, and that statement also felt, was very inspiring of like, I, I just, I have to be a part of this conversation changing. This is people were hungry for this. And, um, and so after that, I'm, I'm in touch with almost every single one of those um, students still to this day. And they will often say it was one of the classes that changed, that, that changed their lives. And I don't say it's a gloat. It was truly the experience no, I believe of it that. and the topic of it. And when I, when we would do the reviews afterwards, cause I had to be very diligent with, um, saying that they, that they had, that it was a positive experience. And they would often say to have the topic of female sexuality be something that a college of this caliber gave credit to was absolutely healing just to begin with, to know that this was going to be, and then it it became the talk. And so they were waiting lists and there were people like, like fighting to get into the class. And I had all genders as a part of it after that, that was the first, that was the only time that it was just women in it. Um, and it was great. We talked about sexuality, female sexuality in uh, the general sense in society. And then we put it down, um, into the micro level. One of my favorite parts of it was that we had a live journal. And so every week, every student wrote me, um, something, something in their private life that they needed to work out. And I wrote them back. And so we would have an interactive journal. It was a lot of work, um, as a, as a teacher to keep up with that, but it was incredible. Um, and, uh, just knowing that they trusted me and were hungry to sift through this um, was was really inspiring too. I love that. And I think that's crucial. And I'm imagining a university, especially in now day and age, that there may be pushback or concern that it's like overstepping boundaries between professor and student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there were there were a few times that we had a final- But it is personal, right? I mean, we're talking yeah. about sex. It's personal. And isn't college um, and education supposed to be also about personal development? Isn't that a part, isn't that a dual process in this too, that we're, we are expanding their minds and their development, not just academically, but as a person um, or, or a lot of the, a lot of the colleges that I've worked with, that's, that's what they're wanting. And that's part of this again, and it's talking about sexuality, a part of you. And most of those students came in with little sex education, little sex education at all. So I was doing a lot of that too. And it was just the advanced version of it. And they were well, hungry to talk about it. Yeah. I think once it's so interesting because I'm, I think people often think that when I'm at like the dinner table or an event or whatever, that like I'm the person bringing up the sex stuff. And sometimes I am, but usually like I, you know, I keep it to myself, but whenever I'm around, people know that that's my thing. And then they just like the floodgates open. So like once there's permission to like talk about this, it's just like, can I tell you about every trauma I've ever had in my life? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I have to have my own yeah. boundaries with it, but like family dinner tables, whatever people just know. And like, once they have that permission, it just like takes off. Yes. It's, I mean, it's extraordinary. And, and so when I experience that with people, just like, like you then, then and whenever I get the pushback, because I know you do too, there's lots of negative that comes along with it also. Lots of assumptions, lots of assumptions about who we are as people and our own experiences. It's like, well, but I remember all that. I remember all this. In fact, it's usually the ones 
that give you the most pushback that are the ones that are, are, are the ones who want to talk to you the most. I have found that. Like, or need I the most help. Yeah. True. I had this one experience. I was working with a group of um, 17 women in, um, in New Jersey and they had agreed to yeah, let me videotape a discussion about, uh, about sex and sexuality. Um, and, and I didn't know really what, we're, what where it was going to go. I just had to open any questions. And this one woman who was a part of the group uh, wrote this very long thing, offended by it. And said, this is not the purpose of our group. Or I, I, I don't even want to. And, and the leader of the group said, well, you don't have to be a part of it. This is, we're just going to have it. You can walk into the room or not. And she ended up coming in and she talked more than anybody and had so many insights that came out. She actually gave me permission to use the footage of her speaking. And she said some very big, bold things. And I was like, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's the case. And that's why I'm willing to get the pushback because I know if you can do that work, I'm going to do the work to create a container for you because it's that important. Well, I'm so grateful for you and the, and the work that you do and the container you create for so many people in, in life-changing ways. How can folks follow what you're doing and hire you or join the, the stories class? Oh, well, thank you. And I feel the same way about you and the work you are doing also in this podcast. It's amazing. Um, I, the, um, my website is dr-juliana.com. And then you can find me on Instagram on Dr. Juliana Hauser and um, Facebook as Dr. Juliana. Well, thank you so, so much for joining. And if you want to follow what I'm doing at Sluts and Scholars, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And if you need some resources or to be linked to anything, you can email me at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks.